All right, good morning, everyone. I need to get my uh, electronic Bible back to the right place here. Okay. I am keenly aware, trust me, the fact is not lost on me that the only thing standing between you and delicious chicken barbecue in Lancaster County is this sermon. So I'm reminded of the pastor who uh, was, uh, was known for 30-minute sermons, never 29, never 31, 30 minutes. You could set your watch by him 30 minutes from start to finish. And one particular day, uh, he preached and he came to 30 minutes, and 35, and 40, and 45, and 50, and 55, everyone's in shock, and suddenly the pastor looks down at his watch and has the shocked look on his own face and says, let's stand for the benediction, closes the service, and one of the deacons came to him afterwards and said, Pastor, what happened? You're always 30 minutes. You're right on time, and what happened today? And he said, well, you you see, I I have this method. He said, I I always reach into my coat pocket and grab a lifesaver and just slip it into the side of my mouth, and it takes exactly 30 minutes for it to dissolve. And he, that's what I always do. And when it dissolves, I know it's done, and we say the, the benediction. And he said, well, today I reached in my pocket, and apparently I accidentally grabbed a spare button <laughs> and put it in my mouth. <laughs> so <laughs> that didn't really happen. Probably, probably didn't really happen. But uh, we, are, uh, we are praying for you, continuing to pray for you. Uh, as Steve said, we'll be gone for the next couple of months, not gone from home, just uh, not able to be here with you. We're, we've previously committed to help another congregation, as I mentioned last week. So, But um, Lord willing, uh, you're not rid of us yet. We'll be back in September uh, at, at the conclusion of the summer, and we're excited for the process that you have. You have a good process in place. Uh, I would just exhort you and encourage you, as Steve did, to call, call you corporately to prayer individually and, and corporately, uh, that God would guide you and have every confidence that He will. I think your, uh, your issue next is going to be not a, a, a scarcity of resumes being, uh, being submitted, but an absolute abundance of resumes that are going to be submitted. And that's, a, that's good. That's a good problem to have. And uh, as, as we are confident, God is going to guide you through that process. So we trust Him to that end. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing as we look at His Word. Thank you, Father, that you are with us. Thank you that through your Word you are forming your church uh, to be the men and women that you have uh, called us to be and are equipping us to be uh, through your Spirit. We ask that you would use this Word in our lives, that you would encourage us, and that you would help each person here just to take that next step in their journey with you uh, through the gracious working of your Spirit and the power of this text of Scripture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm actually quite excited about this text, and it just seems to me so fitting today uh, to be sharing this with you as we say goodbye for the next eight weeks or so. Uh, I feel like... uh, just a comfort to my heart. I'm just leaving you in good hands. That's, that's what I feel like as we work through this text together. The year was 1926, and Ira Gershwin penned the lyrics to a Broadway song that would not only become the hit of that show, but also go on to be recorded by many artists all over the world. 
In the show, the woman sings of her longed-for lover with these words. Where's the shepherd for this lost lamb? There's a somebody I'm longing to see. I hope that turns out to be someone to watch over me. Anyone want to kind of complete the song as I read you the words? I'm a little lamb that's lost in a wood. I know that I could always be good to one who will watch over me. Won't you tell him, please, put on some speed, follow my lead. Oh, how I need someone to watch over me. Now, that song was probably helped to hit status by a lot of young women thinking about the man they hoped to marry. But there's something deeper in that lyric. There's something much deeper that speaks to men and women alike in every generation. And that's this. The world is an unsafe place filled with many dangers, many difficulties and opposition. And any thinking person is, in, is plagued by the incessant what-if questions. The, the, what if I get cancer? What if I lost my job? What if I lost my spouse to death or divorce? What if my kid gets addicted to something? <laughs> what if I have chronic, incessant pain? You know, some suffering that God asks us to face as individuals, it's like a long tunnel that you enter and you have to enter it alone. You cannot take your spouse with you. You cannot take your closest friend with you. You must enter this alone. I recall a few years ago watching my dear wife Elaine go through that tunnel of chemotherapy and radical surgery and all of that. And those hard days standing by her bedside wanting so much to just take it from her and experience it in her place. I don't know that I would have had the courage to actually do that, but honestly, that was the, the longing of my heart. And realizing I can't, I can't go there with her even, she, she has to walk through this alone. We have those individual fears, and corporately we, we have fears, Right? What if we never find a pastor? Or worse yet, what if we find one and he's bad? Right? No, we all fear this nagging fear of exposure to danger that resides in every human heart. That's why that song speaks to so many people. We need someone to watch over us. And that's the good news, church, I have to share with you this morning to each of you individually, to each of us individually, we have someone who's watching over us. And to you as a church, you have someone who is watching over you. And that's what we're going to hear here in John 10. Now remember, uh, last week we talked about the healing of the blind man and how he was treated so shabbily by the spiritual leaders that he no doubt had had admired all his growing up years, and these guys turn out to be not interested in his welfare or the welfare of the people entrusted to their care, but rather they were selfish shepherds. They were angry, controlling, dictatorial kind of shepherds. 
And what we're about to read here is the continuation of the conversation that Jesus started with these pharisaical shepherds by confronting them that you, your problem is you're blind, but the bigger problem is you think that you can see when you're actually blind. And as we pick the conversation up here in the first part of chapter 10, it's, it's a continuation of this whole interchange between the Pharisees and Jesus. Now, Jesus begins with an extended illustration, and it's something so familiar that the people listening to this illustration in that world uh, would, would have had no question of, uh, you know, the actual, what, what the illustration is about. He, uh, he says here in verse 1, he starts with this, I tell you the truth, literally in the original language, amen, amen. In other words, or the King James, if old timers remember this, verily, verily, I say unto you. In other words, don't miss this. This is absolutely true, what I'm about to say. And listen to the illustration he gives. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, one pictured there for you, an ancient sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, they must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Now, that picture that Jesus painted of an ancient sheep pen or sheepfold would have been so familiar to these people listening. These things are everywhere in Israel. It would have been like me standing up here and saying, um, I'm going to tell you about ordering something on Amazon. See, first you go to the search bar and you put in what you're looking for. Now, several hundred items are going to come up, different quality, different prices, and also several hundred ads are going to assault you because they know what you ordered the last time you were on Amazon. And then you're going you're to select the one you want and you're going to press the button, add to cart, and then it's going to take you to the, you're going to go to the checkout and you're going to enter your credit card information and don't forget to put the expiration date and the, the little code, the three number code. And then you're going to, you're going to put buy now, you know, you're going to hit that buy and you're going to get the confirmation that it's coming to you. And then you have to be careful. We want to make sure you're home the day that they deliver this package to your front porch because there are these people known as porch pirates. They drive around neighborhoods looking for people that have Amazon accounts so they can help themselves to the boxes on the porch that are not theirs, okay? If I said that to you, you would all go, duh, (laughs) of course. Well, when Jesus gives this illustration, everyone in the crowd would say, yeah, like, what's your point? Now, to us, there are things here that are not familiar, you know, this, this whole idea of a sheepfold, this picture here um, doesn't have a building connected to it, but often a family's home would be connected to this fence. There might be a couple of homes around this fence. And, and very often the, the sheepfold would have not just one flock of sheep, but several flocks of sheep that are put in this pen at night for protection and safety. 
And this, this whole picture of the shepherd of the flock coming to the doorkeeper or the gatekeeper, sometimes there would actually be a wooden kind of a door that might have been able to be locked, but there would be a, an authorized person standing there uh, in charge of the sheep in that fold, and the shepherd would come and say, I'm the shepherd, I'm here to get my flock. And the way they would do this and the way they still do this is the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And so he would call out, this is beautiful, not just, hey, guys, he would start, the Palestinian shepherds would often give their individual sheep individual names. And he would begin calling out the names of the sheep, and the sheep hear the voice of their shepherd. Now, in the West, the way we do shepherding is we get a guy on a horse with a couple of dogs, and we get behind them, and we drive them where we want them to go, right? It's not the way they do it in the Near East, The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. They come toward his voice. He begins to walk, and they begin to follow him, and these sheep come out of the the sheepfold with their shepherd. That was very familiar to the people in this day, and also the idea that somebody that would not come to the front door but would climb over the side to get in, that person is there with malicious intent either to steal or to harm the flock in some way. Everybody would know that. So for us, we need a little explanation. You know, what, what, what is the point Jesus is making here? And for them as well, they need a little explanation. So look at verse 6. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. I mean, they know what a sheepfold is, but they're not exactly sure what he's talking about. So he explains it to them. And notice verse 7 now, he is going to explain the illustration by presenting two metaphors that apply to him. And I want you to notice as he does this explanation, the stark contrast between himself and the pharisaical selfish leaders that he is confronting who have just kicked this blind, formerly blind man out of the synagogue. I want you to notice the stark contrast. So these two metaphors, Jesus says, I'm a gate. King James Version, New King James, many of the translations say I'm the door, all right? I'm the gate and I'm the good shepherd. Let's just settle our thoughts down on these for a few moments. Well, in verse 7 to 10, 7b to 10, he makes this first claim. He says, uh, I tell you the truth, same exact construction as back there in verse 1. I tell you the truth, amen, amen. This is true. What I'm about to say, you can take it to the bank. He says, I am, ego me, I am, it's the, the title for God, I am the gate. The word means a door, an entrance, it could refer to a wooden gate. Most of the times in our New Testament, it's translated with the word door, but I like the translation here. It's a gate. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me, those guys were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, he repeats it, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find, will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. 
My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Maybe you're familiar with the translation, to give them life and life more abundant, right? Now, this whole imagery of I am the gate, it actually grows out of this practice that would be the case in some sheepfolds that did not have a a wooden gate that would close. Actually, the shepherd himself became the gate. (laughs) So he would get his sheep in the pen, all settled down for for the night, and he himself would lie across the opening to that sheep pen so that anyone wanting to come in they would have to go through him. Now, the way Jesus is using the metaphor here, he is saying, I am actually the entrance. I am the opening whereby you can come into my fold, the fold of God. The Old Testament is replete with imagery of God being the shepherd and the people of Israel being the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100 you know, we are the sheep, of, we are your flock, we are the sheep of your pasture. God is the shepherd. And here is Jesus saying, that relationship with the creator God who made you, I am the one and only exclusive entrance. I'm the gate into being part of the people of God. So interesting. He says, everyone who came before me, now they're, uh, they were thieves and robbers, He's not talking about the faithful shepherds of God's people like Moses or David. They're actually, we're both shepherds and and are used figuratively as shepherds in the way they led God's people. He may be talking about some of the false prophets who worked selfishly uh, for their own advantage. He's probably talking about some of the false messiahs that had come along a couple hundred years even before Jesus came some in the Maccabean revolt and others who claimed, we will lead you to life and liberty and all that God has intended for our people only to find the whole enterprise end in devastation and death for many people. Jesus says, yeah, those guys, they were were thieves. They They were here to take from you, not to give to you. And so he makes this clear pronouncement, I am the gate. And he contrasts himself with those who come to harm and he who comes to provide access into this restored relationship with God. There's a writer in the second century, a Jewish writer by the name of Hegesibus, and he tells the story. We know that many of the first disciples of Jesus Uh, and the apostles, many of them died death of a martyr. Uh, You know, tradition tells us how many of them died, whether that's exactly how they died or not, but it's pretty clear these men died for their association with Jesus Christ and and affirming that He was the Messiah. Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, you know, he became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He was one of the brothers questioning whether Jesus was nuts initially, came to be a believer in his half-brother as the Messiah and Savior, became the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, and his death is purported to have happened this way. It's written about in the second century. Jewish opponents put him on trial, and they ask him the question, what did Jesus mean when he said he is the gate? 
And James responded with the words of Jesus from Matthew's gospel. It means you will see him seated on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds with glory. That's what it means. And they took him up to the temple. If you've ever, ever been there or seen pictures, it's a very long way down from the top of the temple to the rocky ground below. They threw him off the side of that. He did not die by that initial impact, and so they finished the job by stoning him. And that's how James, after professing the truth of what it is that Jesus is the gate, he is the only way into a right relationship with God, James came to know very intimately the second proclamation Jesus makes here, that I am the good shepherd. Already we're hearing this contrast, not selfish, careless shepherds, not shepherds who are fleecing the sheep, but shepherds, a shepherd who is good, who is caring. You say, well, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very faithful shepherd if he let, him, let them throw you off the temple and you die by stoning, or at least you've finished dying by stoning. But this shepherd is not one who's just with us in the happy times in life. He's a shepherd who's with us in those difficult experiences that you have to go through by yourself and no one else can hold your hand. I think James came to see his half-brother and his Messiah in a whole new way in that experience in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, this, this imagery of shepherding, as I said, it's all through the Old Testament, but I want to read just a little bit here from um, the, uh, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. I'll read a little more than what's on the screen for you, but I want you to hear the contrast of the, the horrible failure that the assigned shepherds for the flock of Israel were in, the, in Ezekiel's day, and the looking forward to this, this prediction, this prophecy of a shepherd unlike all of these selfish losers who is going to be very, very different. Ezekiel writes, "'What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep?' You drink the milk, you wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the, of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd." For this is what the sovereign Lord says, Ezekiel continues, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. When Jesus says this to these Pharisees and all listening, I am the good shepherd. In so many words, he is saying, this prophecy is coming true right in front of you. 
I'm here. I'm here to gather my true flock. I'm here to say that my sheep will no longer be scattered and abused. So listen to his development of this picture just quickly of being the good shepherd. I tell you the truth, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So he's good because he came to die so the sheep could live. Now he contrasts himself, a shepherd, with a hired hand. So instead of the shepherd who owns the flock, it's the mercenary shepherd who works as a job for, for money. The sheep are not his. He might be a good person, but they, they just don't belong to him. And Jesus said, here's what happens. The hired hand, when he sees a wolf coming, he takes off. <laughs> he, he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock, and the hired hand runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. He, um, he's talking about a very different kind of shepherd. You know, David risked his life to kill a lion or a bear. Other shepherds have risked their lives. Jesus is saying a little bit more than that. I'm going to actually lay down my life because the only way you sheep will have life is if I die to pay for that forgiveness that gives you that life. And he says it very clearly, I'm the good shepherd because I'm going to lay down, I'm going to sacrifice my life for the sheep. This is strong, strong language of vicarious atonement, him being our substitute. He continues to describe himself as good because of the relationship that he calls the sheep into. He says, I'm the good shepherd, verse 14, says it again, I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And listen to this, folks, look what he says. I have other sheep too. You know, he's talking about us, unless you're Jewish. He's talking about us, Gentiles. I have other sheep too. They are not in this sheepfold, not this sheepfold of Judaism. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. You know, I was six years old when I heard through my father's voice, actually, laying on the top bunk in my, my brother and I's bedroom, late in, a, in an evening, a Tuesday evening, after hearing an evangelist preach in our church, talking about the realities of heaven and hell and eternity, and being deeply convicted of my sin and lack and need, and through my father's soft voice standing by my bed that evening, I heard this voice of Jesus calling my name, like, yeah, you're one of my sheep. You're one of my sheep. And I went toward him as a six-year-old does, you know, like in trust and faith, I went to Jesus. And I came into a relationship with him that all these years later, 50 plus, uh, has never, I've wavered often. He's never left me. He's always been 
with me. And he says, and I know him. I know you. And this relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, he says, it's so intimate. It's like between the Father and the Son and the triune Godhead. It's that intimate. He knows you. He called you. You you know Christ the Savior. You remember when that happened, when you heard his voice. You, You heard your name called. I'm not saying you heard voices. I'm just saying it was the shepherd coming to you and saying, you're part of my flock. Come on. You may be here today, you're hearing that voice, and you haven't stepped toward him yet. Just keep listening. He has something good for you. Jesus tells us he's good because his sacrifice is not from coercion. Look at verse 17 and following, but submission. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. This is what my Father has commanded. You know, all these threats from the Jewish leaders and these schemes and strategies and plots to take his life, Jesus is saying, yeah, you do your best, boys, but it won't happen until I permit it to happen. And it's this mystery of God's world that What wicked men plan and carry out, it's all part of the plan of God to redeem those very wicked men who are carrying this out, including all of us. And here's Jesus saying, I'm in perfect control of this. I'm not being coerced. I willingly lay down my life for my sheep to bring them into this relationship with me can't help but think of the words of Romans where Paul says in chapter 8, since, since he didn't spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also give us everything else? Right? So think of this. Jesus is the way we come to relationship with God And he is a shepherd who walks with us individually and corporately. Think of it this way. There's never an experience in life that has come into your life that has surprised your shepherd. And there's never an experience in life that has come into your life in which he will permit you to be completely alone. Yeah, Elaine couldn't have me walk with her, like take that pain for her. But she will tell you to this day, there were, there were moments of such powerful awareness of the presence of Christ in her life as she went through that valley. And all of you can tell stories of how God has done this in your life. The shepherd is, is with us. He, he said, Matthew 28, I'm going I'm to be with you all the days until the end of the age. The Mondays and the Wednesdays, the Saturday afternoons and the Thursdays when you sin real bad, I'm still going to be with you. That's his promise. Well, there's a divided response to these words of Jesus, this claim of being the gate and the good shepherd. And the discussion is, is this guy a maniac or is he the Messiah? So look what they say in verse 19. When he said these things, the people were again divided. It sounds like more than just the leaders that have been singled out. All the people are listening 
They're divided in their opinions. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? And even by that response showing they are not his sheep hearing his voice. And others said, hmm, this does not sound like someone possessed by a demon. And they ask this question, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It's a rhetorical question. The, the implied answer is no. Demons don't open eyes, they blind them. They blind them. And all down through the generations now, we, we hear that question still coming to us, right? Who is he? Is he a maniac? Or is he the Messiah? And the question comes to you. We all have to make the choice. Because he can't just be a good person who did nice things. He is a person who claimed to be God. So if he was not actually God, then he's a maniac. Well, this beautiful text is shouting to us this. I, this is how I'd sum it up. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's your path to God and the only path there is to God. And He is your provider as God. And will never be closer to you than in those moments when you feel that you may be alone, right? That's when He's going to be closest to us. So if, if you don't know Him today, why wouldn't you want to come into a relationship with someone like this? And if you do know him, but you've been questioning a, little, questioning a little bit, why this, why now, why me? Just be reminded, brother, sister, friend in Christ, be reminded he is with you and he is working good. Whatever those what-if questions, whatever those fears are that you have, you can rest assured this good shepherd is one who leads you, calls you by name, knows your name, knows every detail of your life better than you do, and will never leave you and never forsake you. Now, I would like us to end this way this morning. Is it okay if I do something weird? Okay. Uh, we're going to stand. Okay. <laughs> we're going to stand, and we're going to confess together what we believe about this Savior, this shepherd. And here's how we're going to do it. Did anybody kind of think about Psalm 23 while I was talking about the Good Shepherd? You can't not think about it, right? So I took the liberty of changing the words to Psalm 23. Don't, don't get worried, you know, because we read this as Christians. David wrote it as his relationship to God and all the Old Testament saints look forward to it. You know, there is a shepherd coming, and he's going to be unlike the selfish ones, we get the joy of looking back and saying, we know, we know who, who it is. We know who the shepherd is. So what I did was I changed the singular words, I, me, my, to our, us, we, to plural, because we're confessing this as the corporate people of God. And I changed the generic references to the Lord, to the Lord's name, Jesus Christ. Okay? So don't go on autopilot and just start quoting King James because you'll get messed up with the rest of us, right? Try to read, and I'm sorry, the font's kind of small. Can you see it? Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's confess this together in faith. This is the shepherd in, in which, in who, with whom we are in relationship. 
Jesus Christ is our shepherd. We shall not want. Jesus makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. Jesus restores our souls. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you, Jesus, are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You, Jesus, anoint our heads with oil. Our cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's sheep say? Amen. Y'all don't say amen that much here, so that was really great to hear right there. Yeah, amen. Let's pray. Father, we trust you. We commit our lives into your hands, knowing you are the good shepherd. We have nothing to fear. You will never do us evil. You will only do us good. The Lord is good, a stronghold to all who put their trust in Him. And so we pray your protection and love and care and continued concern for the people of this flock, your flock. Each one, you know their name. And this fellowship, you know this name, Bethany Grace Fellowship. These are your people, your sheep. And so we, we just, we worship you, we thank you, and we again surrender our lives to you without fear, without fear. And even it's, if, if it's the valley of the shadow of death, how we thank you, it's only a shadow, it's only a shadow. And we step into eternal life with you as we go through that valley. So thank you, Father, and we just commit these dear ones to your care, these elders and leaders and all the folks of this family. We commit them to your care with confidence in your love and grace and strong, strong hand of protection upon them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.